Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text this evening will be taken from the reading we just heard in the Gospel of Matthew. You may be seated. We begin tonight with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this night that you have seen fit to give us your Son, Jesus Christ, and through him to give us the gift of everlasting life, forgiveness of our sins, and real hope in this world. We pray tonight, Lord, that that hope would shine in our hearts and you would fill us with joy over all that Jesus has done for us. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, once again, Merry Christmas. Thank you. It is good to have you here. It is truly a joy to have you with us here tonight as we celebrate that time that roughly 2,000 years ago, God saw fit to enter into our world in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Now, if you are around here at all, you know I love Christmas. I think I've said it every week for the past four weeks on Sunday morning. I love Christmas. I love the music. I love the wrappings. I love the lights. I love the Christmas specials and the movies. I love the services. I love all of it. And so I've begun to think this year, why do I like this season so much? Because sometimes it can be a little irritating, but I even like the irritating stuff, like Mariah Carey singing songs. I love this stuff, you know. I can't get enough of it. And I wonder why is that? And I realized this year, you know, obviously I love celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, but something else hit me this year. I like that this time of year, as we come to the conclusion of yet another year, I like that I have sort of a feeling of escape. I, I like sort of, and maybe this isn't healthy or good, but I like the escapist mentality where for a little bit we can all just sit back and stop complaining, because no one's complaining this time of year, right? And just listen to some joyful music and just share some gifts. It's nice to kind of escape all the anxiety and the frustration and the tension in the world. And for some reason this time of year, I, I'm able to do that. Now, we do need, it seems, like we need an escape anyway. Because wouldn't you agree, I mean, as we look back on 2018, I don't think I would say that this was a really sort of a holly jolly year for our country. If you spend any time on that uh, black hole we call social media, you know <laughs> that right now things are tense in our country. That there is a lot of division, there is a lot of anxiety welling up. Divisions seem to be more pronounced now than I've ever seen them, at least uh, in, in my lifetime. Our, 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 our time is a time full of vitriol and bitterness, labeling and judging, and none of us, it would seem, are able to escape it. And to be honest, none of us here tonight are really innocent of any of this stuff either. I mean, we're really frustrated, and there's a lot of tension and a lot of anxiety and a lot of bitterness, I'm afraid. And I find myself looking out at the cultural landscape and asking myself this question. What am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with all of this anxiety and tension and anger and bitterness? What am I supposed to do with all of this? And, and the more I think about that question, the more I realize is I don't have a lot of good answers to it. So that's why I like Christmas, because for just a little bit, I'm not thinking about those things. It's a little moment for me to escape it all. 
and just watch a good Christmas movie. But tonight, as we gather here to remember the birth of our Lord, we are reminded that 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born into this world, he was not born into this world to offer us an escape. See, we do not have, we do not have an escapist God. He was also not born into a sort of holly jolly happy scene. It was, despite what we're going to sing, it was not really a silent night there in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Political tensions were high. There was a lot of strain going on in that culture as well. And nobody knew this better than Joseph, the man God saw fit to call to raise Jesus. Joseph knew the tensions better than anyone. He was the guy who had to uproot his whole family and move to Bethlehem for a political census being called by a Caesar that he did not agree with that he was not in favor of. And just before he left, his uh, fiancée, Mary, just got back from a three-month trip uh, to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and lo and behold, Merry Christmas, she shows up pregnant. And Joseph, you can rest assured, was not buying the whole, hey, it's a Holy Spirit thing. (laughs) This was not something he was really fired up about. And so he's looking at Mary, he's looking at this child in her womb, he's looking at his situation, and Joseph is saying to himself, what am I supposed to do with all of this? And now in his day, he had two options. It would seem he was left with two options, and two options that you and I, when we're faced with difficult situations, when we're faced with people frustrating us and making us angry and and bringing anxiety to our lives, these two options seem to be what we tend towards as well. Joseph figured he could either fight or he could flee. It's fight or it's flight. Now, according to the Old Testament laws, which to our ears seem awfully harsh, Joseph had every right to fight Mary on this. Joseph had every right to put her up on trial, to bring her before public scrutiny, to shame her on Twitter, you might say. He had every right to go to her family, demand the dowry back, put her on trial so that the people there, the judges of those days, could have looked on Mary and guaranteed they're not buying the Holy Spirit story either. And according to their laws, they could have had her stoned to death for her infidelity. Joseph had every right to go that route, according to their laws. And after all, why shouldn't he? He'd been hurt. He'd been betrayed. He'd been shamed. And it was time to give Mary a taste of her own medicine. It was time to put her in her place. But Joseph didn't take that route. As St. Matthew tells us in the gospel he wrote for us, he reminds us that Joseph did not go that route. You see, Joseph was a just and a righteous man, and he decided to act in kindness towards her. And so they were in this time of their marriage where they were betrothed. They had not yet come together, and he decided the best thing to do would be to call the marriage off, which in those days was the equivalent of a divorce. He would leave Mary behind, and he would leave the child behind. And though this seems awfully harsh, and to a certain extent, it is really, it is the most compassionate option. Because Mary would not have to face public scrutiny, she would not have to receive capital punishment, he would simply give Mary back to her family, and they could care for the child, and Joseph could go off and live his life and figure something else out. Joseph looks at this difficult situation, says, what am I supposed to do with this? And he decides for flight. He looks to get out. He looks to leave the situation behind. And both of these options, though on the surface they seem awfully harsh to us, the reality is when you and I are faced with difficult situations in our lives, when we're faced with difficult people in our lives who are bringing about problems for us, 
These are very often the options we want to take. Fight or flight. Shame the person who has hurt you. Shame the person who you are against. Make the political party that makes you angry look stupid so that you can feel smarter. You can fight or you can just leave them behind and ignore them and have nothing else to do with them. Just go on your way. Fight or flight. Either way, we demand justice and we think that justice will be served in one of those two ways. We either leave them to figure things out on their own or or we fight them. So long as we are the ones in the driver's seat. So long as we are the ones in charge of the situation. So long as we are the judge and the jury making the decision, fight or flight is okay by us. So Joseph going with one of these options makes total sense. The flight is fine. It makes sense to him. And Joseph seems to be thinking, of course, this is the best option. So long as I'm the judge and making the decision here, I'm making the call. This is the way it should be. But that's Joseph's problem. He's not the judge of the situation, nor is he the jury. Joseph's problem is he's thinking he's in the driver's seat of his life, and yet he's not. Joseph's not the one making the decisions around here. Joseph, in fact, is not the one who has the right to ask, what should I be doing with all of this? What Joseph will find out shortly as we come to it in this account is that the one who has the right to ask and decide, the one who is the true judge... (laughs) is actually in the womb of his yet virgin fiance. See, you and I come here tonight, and we're facing a lot of difficult stuff in our lives. And we like to think that we're kind of the center of our own lives, and we are the judge, and we are the jury of what should be going on in our lives. And we should be making decisions about what's going on for us, and if it means we have to fight people or flee from them, it doesn't matter so long as we're still in control. But like Joseph, what you and I need to hear tonight is this. You are not in the driver's seat of your life. What is more, you are not the judge and the jury of this world. It is not your job, nor is it your responsibility to cast judgment and aspersions on the rest of the world around you. You are not the one who should be asking the question, what should I do with this? Because you see, that's God's job. God is the one who is in the driver's seat. God is the judge and God is the jury. And if we look to God's word and Holy Scripture, we find that according to his judgments, things aren't so hot around here right now. Things are not good the way he created them to be. Things are not operating the way he intended them to be. Just look at the things we're facing in our world right now. Suicide rates in the past year have skyrocketed. There is bitterness and division. There is slander and death, blasphemy, hatred, evil, murder, abortion, mistreatment of the poor, greed, envy, and pride all seem to be driving everything. And all of this is sort of flowing from a narcissistic desire to be in charge of our own life and in charge of our own world. It all comes from this desire to either remove God or to be our own God. And these these sort of self-serving hearts, according to God's word, the problem with these hearts for you and I is, is that they're the very hearts that reside in our own chests. You see, according to God's assessment of matters, you and I aren't here in this world to be the judge and the jury. You and I aren't here in this world to sort of solve all the problems. No, the harsh reality we have to face tonight is that you and I aren't here to solve the problems. You and I, you guys, we're part of the problem. And it's God 
who sits up in heaven and looks down on sinners like you and me, and God has to ask the question, what should I do with this? What am I supposed to do about this? And I suppose from our perspective, God has two options, fight or flight. God could come and fight us, but all that would really amount to is him just coming down to judge us and condemn us uh, to an eternity of hell, which is all that we really deserve. Or he could just abandon us. He could just leave us behind. He could say, I've had enough of this. I'm going on to start another creation where I don't have to deal with all of these people. And I'm going to leave you to your own devices and turn our world into nothing more than, say, uh, a big world of survival of the fittest. Might makes right. If you're stronger, you win. And so what is God going to do? Is he going to fight us? Is he going to condemn us? Is he going to judge us? Or is he just going to leave us alone? Is it fight or flight? What is it, God? What should you do with this? This is the good news of Christmas. This is why you and I are here tonight. To celebrate this marvelous promise that we get in the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah that tells us God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. When God is facing people who rebel against him and reject him, people who sin against him, God's response is not to fight or to flee, but it's to show mercy. Listen to what God says to Joseph. Joseph here, he's, he's, he's contemplating leaving Mary. He's contemplating the whole situation, and he, just, he finally falls asleep over after wrestling with this. And in his sleep, God sends Joseph an angel. And this is what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That is, you've misjudged things entirely. She will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now here is something entirely unexpected. That God looks down on this world full of sin and evil and the one who has the right and the ability and the power to judge and condemn decides not to and instead decides to forgive, to show mercy, to save us, to save you from your sins. I love how, how Matthew, the author of this gospel, portrays this for us. He, he shows us the names of Jesus and why they matter. When the angel spoke to Joseph, he said, you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is from the Hebrew name uh, Yeshua, which means our God saves. And then Matthew points out that this was to fulfill a prophecy spoken by a prophet Isaiah, which we heard earlier uh, read this evening. In that prophecy, Isaiah said roughly, you know, hundreds of years before uh, Jesus showed up on a scene that a virgin would give birth to a child and his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what, what, what uh, Matthew is telling us tonight is that you do not have a God who is going to abandon you. No, you have a God who is with you. And he is not here to judge you or to condemn you. No, he has come to save you from your sins. With our God, it is not fight or flight. It is forgiveness. It is mercy. It is grace. God looks down on you and says, what am I supposed to do with you in all of your sin? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive you. And we say, what, is he just going to ignore the sin? He's going to pretend like this stuff hasn't happened? No. Notice what Jesus does. God comes in the flesh of a baby. He is born as a human so that Jesus grows up. And Jim did this beautifully tonight in the children's message. 
to become a man who has come into this earth with a very specific purpose, to offer up his life as a sacrifice for our sins. The wrath, the punishment, the judgment, the anger, the fight that we deserve from God for our sins, Jesus says, I'll take it from you. That's mine. Your sin, your shame, your guilt, whatever it is you have done, I am taking it and making it my own so that when the fury and wrath of God come, it will fall on me and not on you. And as he dies on that cross, he experiences the abandonment of God when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Christ dies as a sacrifice to pay for your sins. And in exchange, you get the most marvelous Christmas present you can imagine. You get forgiveness. You get mercy. You get the promise of everlasting life. And you and I who have rebelled against God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ are now reconciled to God. He is not an angry judge. He is a loving Father who has come to give you Jesus for your salvation. Christ doesn't fight. He doesn't flee. He enters into our lives so that he might rescue us and save us from our sins. Let me give you an example of what this actually uh, kind of looks like. I read a story this past week in Time magazine. Uh, Time was doing a sort of year in review, and they were talking about a number of heroes that they saw in the world this year. And one of them, one of these uh, heroes was found up in paradise, you know, where the fires were earlier this year. Just a couple months, a couple weeks ago, really. Uh, And they told the story about this guy, a chaplain at the hospital there, named Brad Brown. Maybe you heard the story. Brad Brown uh, arrived at the hospital in Paradise when the flames were really getting going. And when he came into work, he saw them loading up the ambulances with all the patients. Because they were trying to get the people out of there as quickly as they could. And and what Brown realized is that there there wasn't going to be enough room in the ambulances for all the people. And so he offered up his minivan to help. And they loaded three people into Chaplain Brown's minivan. And so he got out of that hospital with those people in his minivan as quickly as he could so he could get into Chico and get them to a hospital where they'd be taken care of. But on the way out, he says, we stormed out of there and hit right into bumper-to-bumper traffic. Everybody was trying to get out of paradise. And it was so hot that cars in front of them were literally uh, exploding. He said, you could hear the flames. Can you imagine that? He could hear the flames. And he said, uh, Luckily, by the grace of God, a bulldozer showed up and made a new path that led them away from the traffic and into a parking lot of a church where they would be safe for a little while. And while they were waiting in that parking lot, some of the officials came by and said, there's a better parking lot where you're, where you're going to be more insulated. We want you to go there. So he got in the minivan and he tore off in that direction only to be faced with a wall of fire. So between him and that parking lot where they would be safe is a massive wall of fire. And he says, he literally says, what am I supposed to do with this? He says, what do you do? I floored my minivan (laughs) and drove right through the flames. Took the flames head on, drove through, arrived in the parking lot safely. A few hours later, the the people were transferred to Chico uh, where they were taken care of and everybody was okay. But can you imagine? He just took the flames head on and the people were saved. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You and I, we've lit this world aflame with our sin and our pride and our unrighteousness. And Jesus looks down and says, what am I going to do with this? I'm going to enter into the flames. I'm going to throw you into the back of the minivan. (laughs) That's that's exactly what he says. But I'm going to take you out of this. 
I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to redeem you, and I am going to reconcile you to God and bring you into my kingdom forever. Tonight, you do not get an angel who's coming to you to tell you that Jesus has come to save you. Instead, you get a sermon. But the message of this sermon is the same message that the angel brought Joseph. Jesus Christ was born to save you. Your sins are forgiven. You are righteous and holy and cleansed in the eyes of God because Jesus Christ put on your flesh and died in your place. That Easter morning, he came out of the flames and brought you to your salvation when he rose again. Jesus Christ has come to save you. God is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He loves you. So what are you supposed to do with this? What, what, do you, what do you do with this Jesus this Christmas? Well, nothing. But receive him as the greatest gift that God has ever given you. Trust in his promises and hear these good news of great, this good news of great joy. Because of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. He has come to save you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks that you have entered into this world to forgive our sins, to show us mercy. You did not come to condemn us, but to save us, just as you promise in your word. Lord, this Christmas, I pray that we all in this room would trust that word, that we would know the truth of those promises and we would cling to them all the days of our lives, just as your son Jesus has promised to cling to us. Have mercy on us, Father, and we give you thanks for the gift of Jesus Christ. Amen.